Good to see you guys. Hey, before I get started, um, you know, every Christmas season, uh, our church is just so generous, and uh, sometimes we've, we've doubled our typical monthly offering, and that, that's not what this talk is about. I want to let you know that because you guys are generous during this season, we want to be generous to uh, ministries uh, that we've uh, partnered with in the last few years, and, and at least one recently. And I want to tell you about that. Um, first of all, we're gonna, we want to give a, a love gift this year to International Christian Adoptions, which you might know them as ICA. They were here a couple of weeks ago, and I can't think of something that is more in Jesus' heart than finding a home for kids that don't have it, and even better than that, finding a Christian home. And so we're so thrilled to be a part of that. I hope that you'll be generous uh, toward that. And then um, we have a ministry here. We've had it for a number of years called Mothers of Preschoolers, also known as MOPS. And this is a fantastic group uh, that meets here every other Tuesday. It's, it's led by uh, Sunridge folks. And they reach out to moms of preschoolers. And the, these moms find community they, they find uh, information that helps them during these, uh, to be better parents, and they find the gospel. And there, there are families in our church that began in MOPS by mom receiving the gospel, and now their families are here. It's such an amazing ministry. And, you know, th we budget for it this year, and this year we had more moms than we had budgeted for. Uh, who'd have thunk it? And uh, so we're just so thrilled uh, to be able to help them. We're going to take uh, a one-time love offering and help them with child care because that gets really pricey for moms of preschoolers. And then uh, thirdly, uh, you may have noticed that during our second service over here, we have an interpreter for our deaf folks. And you guys were involved in getting that started uh, when it kind of came on our radar after our budget, and you gave. And now we have a service every weekend that has an interpreter over here uh, for people who can't hear. And so we budgeted for that this year to have our interpreter here at least one service. But what we didn't realize is that the, the folks that are coming to that ministry want more than church. They, they, they want to be able to be discipled and they want to be a part of some of the other classes and groups that we offer here. And we just didn't think about that, to be honest. And so we're going to take a portion of our Christmas offering and give it toward that so our deaf folks can attend some of the groups and small ministries or uh, small group ministries and classes that we have. So uh, this is your opportunity to be generous this this month. You, you guys blew it totally out of the water during November, uh, during greater things. Uh, and so just to keep it simple this year, you just have to be extra generous toward your church, and we're going to bless some of these ministries. So thanks a lot for that. Um, so uh, one of my favorite movies uh, is back in the 90s. I'm, I'm not sure if this church service is going to be able to relate to this, but it's the movie called Sneakers. Anybody seen Sneakers? Much more in the first service. We might say something about uh, the disparity there. But Sneakers is kind of a comedy uh, caper uh, film, and it has Robert Redford in it. And I, lo I love to see Robert Redford act. I think he's an amazing actor. Cindy just loves to look at him. And... Um, <laughs> Which I don't understand. You know, if you have a steak at home, what's with the bologna sandwich, you know? <laughs> Just saying. You can use that line, guys, if you want. I mean, so uh, anyway, where was I? So it's a star-studded uh, uh, film, 
And uh, basically, the essence of it, I'm a spoiler alert, even though you know the ending, uh, you know, you should still watch. It's a great movie. Um, these kind of like uh, good-hearted activists hack into, they're hackers, you know, and they discover this box, this box that can hack into any uh, computer in the world. And so obviously everyone would pay up to a million dollars to get their hands on that box, you know. So uh, governments want it, the bad guys want it, and the USA wants it. And so by the end of the movie, they have it, and they're going to turn it over to the United States government, in, in particular this official that's played by James Earl Jones. You know, give it up for James Earl Jones. That guy is a stud. So anyway, as they're talking to him, before they give him the box, they, uh, they have some requests. And so Dan Aykroyd, the, the, he's in that film, and he says, well, before we give it to you, uh, I want a Winnebago with burgundy interior. <laughs> and then Sydney, Sydney Poitier is in the film as well, and he wants uh, a trip for two through Europe and Tahiti. And then River Phoenix, it's one of the last films that he made, he, he just wants this girl's phone number that works for the government. <laughs> and, uh, of course, any girl at that time would have willingly given her phone number to River Phoenix. Uh, but then my, my favorite character is a guy that in the film is called Whistler. He, the actor's name is David Strathairn. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. But, um, you know, he has a request, and I'm going to show you that on the screen. I want peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Oh, this is ridiculous. Are you serious? I want peace on earth and goodwill toward men. We are the United States government. We don't do that sort of thing. So I had to show you that because we're talking about peace on earth, right? And even though the United States government may not do that sort of thing, Jesus does. And uh, that's what we've been talking about. And in Luke's gospel, uh, we find that just outside the village of Bethlehem at the time of Jesus' birth, these shepherds are watching over their flocks. And an angel and then a host of heavenly beings appear before them. And Luke 2.14 they declare this, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all whom God favors. And so we started this series last week just simply called Peace on Earth. And what we talked about last week is that God's peace is available to us today. And, you know, it's important to say that because, you know, even those of us who uh, know the Prince of Peace, we have God's peace in our heart, we're Christians you know that we all still suffer with anxiety and stress and sometimes anger. And so we need to be reminded, some of us more than others, that God's peace is available today, that he has given us his peace. And my hope for you, wherever you're starting from, is that through this series, you experience God's peace in a way that you never have before. But something that is just as exciting as having God's peace is this, and this is our main thought for today. God has given us the ability to bring peace to others. God has given us the ability to bring peace to others. We have the peace of God, but we can also bring it to others. Think about that. 
Is there like an overabundance of peace in the world today? No. And yet, as, a, as one who knows the God of peace, one who follows the Prince of Peace, you have the ability, you have been empowered by God to bring God's peace to the world. In fact, this isn't just something that you're capable of doing. It's, it's what God intends for those of us who know the Prince of Peace. God intends for us to bring God's peace to our families, to our marriages, to our community, to our workplace, and maybe even the Costco parking lot on occasion. <laughs> we can bring God's peace to three different scenarios, and that's what I want to talk about today. Number one, we can bring God's peace to our relationships. We can bring God's peace to our relationships. And I love how the Apostle Paul puts this in his book titled Romans. In Romans 12, 18, he says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Now, I revealed to you guys last week that many of you did not realize that I'm a Greek scholar. And so I looked up this Greek word, everyone. And you know what I found out it means? Everyone. <laughs> so there's your super intellectual nugget for the day. And I know you know that. But even though we know that, and even though it says live at peace with everyone, somehow that gets retranslated in our brains, doesn't it? And so we read it. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone except. You've heard of Santa Claus. Well, there's also something known as the exception clause. And you probably have a few of them, as I do. It's, it's everyone except that person. And if you need to, you, their, their name, their face is probably popping up in your, in your brain right now. But if you need a little help, this is a person that, uh, you know, when you see their name come up on your cell phone, it's like, oh. Um, your blood pressure goes up just, just thinking about them right now. And if you were, you know, at the store and you saw them on your aisle, you'd probably quickly turn around and go to another aisle and pretend like you didn't see them. It's that person. That's your exception clause. And sadly, for many of you, it's a church. You might add an exception clause for church or even a pastor. And that might explain why so many of you go out the west doors instead of the one out here where I stand. I don't know. I hope not. I also love, not only does Paul say that, you know, uh, this applies to everyone, but I love how he puts this, that you can only control your side of the equation. Put it up there on the screen again, just the first part. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Because it may not be possible. Because it takes two, doesn't it? But rather than translating this, you know, like, well, it's just impossible with that person. How this should be translating in our brains is that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, means 
Don't let it be your side of the equation that's holding back the peace. It doesn't mean you're supposed to be a doormat. It doesn't mean that you have to stay in a toxic relationship. It doesn't mean you're going to be besties with that person you no longer trust. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You may not know the name H. Beatty Chadwick, but the Chadwicks were like the typical American love story. They met, they fell in love, they got married, and then they realized they hated each other. And so a bitter divorce ensues. And in that divorce settlement, H. Beatty Chadwick is directed to give his ex $2.5 million. And, and what he insisted, even though he's very wealthy, is that he had lost all of his money in business dealings, but what everybody knew, the court, the judge, even his own lawyer, knew that he had squirreled this money away in off-seas accounts, overseas accounts. And so, because they knew that, and he refused to settle, they held him in contempt of court. And so he went to jail in 1995 and was not released until 2009, which if you're trying to do the math right now, that's 14 years. He did 14 years for a contempt of court conviction. It is the longest contempt of court sentence in American history. So this guy was so bitter that even though he was wealthy, he would rather spend 14 years of his life in prison than to give his wife what the court said he should. Now, the moral of that story is don't be a Chadwick. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. For all we know, she was horrible. But was it really worth it? How long will we hold on to these things? Now, I want to spend just a couple of minutes before we move on talking about, like, if you're stuck in a relationship and you can't, you can't overcome that, I want to help you a little bit. And this is in your notes. Like, if you, if you don't want to stay there, number one, try praying for them for a while. It sounds so trite, but I'm going to talk about this for just a couple minutes. Try praying for them for a while because we'll constantly pray for our own peace, for God to bring peace to our situation. But have you ever stopped to pray for someone, for that person that is causing you dispeace? Because that's what Jesus advocated in Matthew 5.44. He said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, have you found, like, if you've ever done this, like you cannot pray for a person for very long before you can't hate them. You can't hold on to those hard feelings. And by praying for them, it gets you into the right headspace to take the next step which is then try working it out. First, pray for them. 
And secondly, try working it out. This is what, again, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You know, this, is, this passage is commonly misunderstood to mean forgiveness. This is not talking about forgiveness. This is talking about reconciliation. And this is taking the step to work it out. And if, and if I understand this correctly, Jesus is saying, before you do all your religious acts, go try and work it out. Now, there's a timing thing. You know, it isn't like it just happened, and you know, before I get to church this Sunday, I've got to work this out. But the principle is right there. Go back to your exception clause, person. If we took this literally, Jesus is saying it would have been better for you to have taken a stab at that than to come to church today. It's that important. It's, it's amazing to me, those of us who have the Prince of Peace in our hearts, and we know God's peace, how we can... We can let so much conflict and dispeace live in our lives and yet try to move on and, and grow in our relationship with Christ or like to be a good Christian or to experience God's peace in our own lives when we have this big thing going on. It may have happened in your family before, maybe... Maybe you've gone through a bitter divorce. It might, you might have gone through a church split, but it's like we just go on without reconciling. And yet we think that we're going to have peace. I, if we have all these unre, unresolved conflicts, is it, is it likely that we're going to experience the peace of God in our lives? will probably have more anxiety and stress. So pray for them. Try working it out. And last, and you have to take this as coming from a pastor, okay? So just like buckle up. And I mean this in the most loving way. And we're going to talk about it, so don't get up and leave when I say this, all right? Try being a little less fragile. If you, if you want to have peace in your relationships, try being a little less fragile. I want to look at a verse that we looked at last week only through a different lens. Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Remember, if you were here last Sunday, we, we looked at that verse, and we talked about how that if, God, if we're following God's laws, if we love God's laws and his ways, then we're much less likely to be involved in sin, and certainly the sin of unforgiveness. So, you know, if you're stuck in a relationship, or you're harboring these feelings, it, were they really that bad? And I know that there are some horrible things that happen, but sometimes we can have a chip on our shoulder, and we're just so, some of us are a little more inclined to be destroyed by something that 
You know, if we, if we really understood how much God loves us on the inside, we'd be a lot more capable of embracing criticism or, um, you know, maybe unfair criticism or input or advice in our lives. See, this verse says that if I love God's law, I'm going to be much more resilient to some of those relationship challenges. And that's important because if we're not, if, if you're that person that has that chip on your shoulder all the time, and people eventually are afraid to talk to you about the things that you might want to hear, and if, they, if you reject constantly, they'll stop telling you. And that will leave you as you are. And I don't think any of us want to stay the way we are. So that was from your pastor, right? You guys okay? All right. Not really, but okay. You see, if we live in peace with others, that's going to bring peace to us. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says, finally, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. If I endeavor to have peace in my relationships, then I'm much more likely to have God's peace in my life. It should make sense, right? So we can have God's peace in our relationships. Secondly, we can bring God's peace to conflict with others. My relationships, but then sometimes we're just observing conflict between others, and we have the capacity to be part of the healing of that relationship and to help them to reconcile their differences, whether it's in our family or the place that we work or in our church. And you probably know people that are currently in conflict with other people. So what's our role in, that, in those situations? Is it that you rope start them, pour more gas on it, really get it going? You know, like, oh, yeah, I got some stories about that person, too. There, da, da, da. And we just add fuel to the fire, right? Is that our role? Or is our role even, like, sometimes we can form unhealthy alliances with people based on our common dislike of a person. I don't know what that's called psychologically, but if... If you don't like that person and I don't like that person, if we can get together on that, we can become besties because we hate the same person. And there's something deep and, and dark in all of us that we want people on our side. We want them to, like, defend us and not like that person that, that hurt us or we think that they hurt us. And so we use the conflicts of others as a, lev as a lever to, to leverage them over to our side, to get them on our team. And we'll do it a lot of different ways. We'll, we'll share information in a way that will get you to dislike them as I do. Um, sometimes we even bend or reshape the truth to, to get them to not like that person. We all do this. We can, we can turn like advice or someone just stepping into our face and saying, that's a destructive behavior. That's not good. You have the wrong perspective of that. We can turn that into, you're a mean person. 
and you really hurt me. We can take um, that person who refused to help us, even though they've helped us for 10 times. You know, they've given us money, they've bailed us out, they've, they've been there for us. And, and then the first time they say no, then all of a sudden they're against you and they've rejected you. We can turn the truth into a lie. We can say, that person's lying about me because even though they got the whole thread of the story correct, there's this like a one little detail that they didn't get right. You know, it's like, no, I didn't throw a brick through his windshield. I threw a crowbar, so they're lying about me. Uncomfortable laughter. See, if we have relationships that our connection is based on our common dislike of a person, those relationships never last. They become toxic. And the Bible's really clear on why we, what can happen and how we need to be on guard, not just in the church, but in our own personal relationships, our family, the place of work. It's easy for all of us to get caught up in this. And yet when we, when we do that, we perpetuate that brokenness. And it spreads to other relationships. Hebrews 12, 15, the writer says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know, there's a diligence in the first part of this verse. Do you see? It's like, see to it. Like, be really careful. Pay attention. Pay attention that we don't miss the grace of God, that we have been given the peace that passes all understanding. We have the grace of God in our own hearts. And if we forget that, if we forget to see to it, then we hold other people to a different standard. And when that happens, it's pretty easy for bitterness to just spread. Um, bitterness are like weeds in your garden. It doesn't take any work to have them appear. They just appear. I mean, I know all the science of it, but it it's really is kind of magic, isn't it? Weeds from nowhere. And if you're not diligent in, like, digging out those weeds, like, your garden will be overtaken by bitter weeds. That's good advice for all of us, and it's a, it's a great picture of how we can allow ourselves to be drawn in in an unhealthy way to a conflict between other people. The next time uh, you're brought into or you see a conflict, remember this. Make bringing God's peace to the conflict your number one priority. Boy, if I could relive that about a thousand times, make bringing God's peace to the conflict your number one priority. Because there are there's a lot of things that we can bring to that conflict, as we talked about. Rope starting them, turn it into like a leverage to get them on my side against that person. It's like all these, the, the, the options for bad responses are numerous. But to make God's peace my number one priority to that conflict, is the one we want to choose. Paul says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace. We have 
the peace of Christ in our hearts. And if we have that, we need to let that rule, let that call the shots in every other relationship that we have. We've been called to peace. And you know, Christmas time is a great time to be reminded of this because you guys are going to go to parties with people that you don't all like. I mean, do you love everyone in your office? No. And you're going to have family gatherings that for many of us, like, it's going to be uncomfortable because just because you came from the same DNA doesn't mean that you all agree on everything. So this Christmas, when you're carving the ham or the turkey and someone brings up Trump or Bernie or gun control or taxes or... I don't know. Make your own list. Make the God's peace, bringing God's peace to that conversation your number one priority. The last way that we can bring peace is that we can bring God's peace to those far from God. We can bring it to our own relationships. We can bring it to conflict that's going on between others. And we can bring it to those who are far from God. What, what is our role? If, if you're a Christian, what is our role toward those that are not yet Christians or even are anti-Christian? What is our role? Well, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The first part of that passage, verse 17, talks about how if someone is in Christ that is a Christian, they are a new creation. If that, that concept is foreign to you, like if you've never you know, made that confession of faith and, and received Christ into your life and accepted the peace of Christ, like, the, the way the Bible explains it, it's like you're a person that's missing something. And then when, by faith, you receive Christ, the Bible says that you're a new creation. Now, it's not like a switch flips off and all, on, and all of a sudden you become a new person, but many times it can be that way. But you are completely new because you have the Holy Spirit in you. God changed you, and now you're a new person. I know it's unpopular today, but um, when I was a kid, we used to play Army, and that's like, and, or Cowboys and Indians, and, you know, this was before Grand Theft Auto. So we had to play with toy guns in our yards, and um, we didn't have real bullets to shoot, but we had to make our own gun noises and everything. And some kids were better at it than others. I was really good at gun noises. And then, you know, but you would hide behind bushes and, you know, you'd shoot at each other. It's like, <laughs> I told you it was awesome. And, uh, and, of course, you couldn't hide behind a bush in a real gunfight. But in Cowboys and Indians or Army, you could. And so, you, you know, you'd do this and then there'd be an argument. And that argument would be over whether you actually got shot. And, you know, it'd be like, I got you. No, you didn't. You missed. And it's like, 
So you'd be arguing back and forth about whether they just shot you. And then if it kept on, you, you could relent to some point and you could say, well, you only wounded me. And that would last for a while, and then it's like, okay, I'm dead, but I'm a new man. Anybody used to say that? Like, just stay in the game? It's like, okay, you killed me. I'm a new man. (laughs) When you become a Christian, you're a new man. You're a new person. And like I said, it's like, doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to be super Christian. In fact, if you're not, you're still a Christian. Because our salvation isn't based on whether we can be good or we can deliver on the changes that are required. You could stay exactly the same as you are today and still be a Christian. I believe that. But I also believe you probably won't want to. And why would you? Why would you want to stay the way you are? And pretty much... What happens on the inside when we become a new person, a new creation, that starts to show on the outside after a while. If you've never taken that step across the line of faith, you can do it in a simple prayer just by saying, God, I I want to be a new person. I want your peace in my life. Would you come into my life and save me and forgive me of my sin? And I place my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you pray that prayer... The Bible says you are a new creation. You're a new person. But that's not all that's new. You have a new purpose, and that's in verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If if you've been reconciled to God, Paul says that now you have a new purpose. That is to help others be reconciled to him as well. He changed you, and he can change others. And he intends to use you as part of that process, that you can help other people be reconciled to God. You can help somebody become closer to God. How amazing is that? How amazing that God would use you and me to draw someone closer to God. I know some of you are like, well, I don't know enough Bible verses to do that, Britt. Um, you know, I've got to get my theology squared away. And, you know, what if they ask me a question I, I, I can't answer? That will be there the rest of your life. You don't have to have all the answers. You can just tell them your story. You're a new person. Tell them what happened to you. I was this way. I ask Christ into my heart, and I'm changed. And I'm working on some things. No, I don't have all the answers to your questions. But, but I'll help you with it. You could even and just, just invite them to church. Do you know that, like, uh, I know Becky talked about our Christmas services coming up. Secular studies, not Christian studies, secular studies say that 60% of the people that, that you would invite to church, 60% of them will come. They will say yes. In fact, 20% of the people that you talk to that, 20, that are non-religious, that you would never think would go to church, 20% of them are waiting for you to ask them. They sense a, a pull in their life toward God, 
And they're just hoping that somebody asks them. And I, I'm going to give you a guarantee. On, in our Christmas Eve and in the uh, Sunday the 23rd service, we're still going to be talking about peace on earth. And um, on that Sunday or, and in those services, I'm going to be talking about how we're searching for peace in all the wrong places. That's going to, that's going to be what we're going to talk about. It's going to be a great service to invite somebody to. Why would, why would we do any of this? Why would I seek to bring God's peace to my relationships, to other people's relationships, or why would I try to bring peace to people who are far from God? Well, for one reason, it could be because we follow the Prince of Peace. Another reason could be that you have been given peace. And if you have, you often pray to God, God, give me peace. So how do you suppose that all comes out if we're praying to God for peace and we've been given peace, but we're not really willing to give it or be part of bringing it to someone else? And then lastly, you should bring peace to the relationships you're in because it will bring you peace. It will make you happy. One of uh, the favorite speakers that I have, I listen to a podcast, and his name is Lee Kreitzer, a pastor back east. And I've never heard anybody explain this verse this way. It's in Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, blessed means happy. So if you're someone who brings peace, Jesus says you're going to be happy. Think of all the different ways, uh, the other things that Jesus could have said then. You should be a peacemaker because I told you so. You should be a peacemaker because if you don't, I'm going to punish you with this peace. You should be a peacemaker because if you're not, you're a sinner. So you better start making peace. Instead, he said, you know what? If you bring peace, you'll be happy. And you will be known as a child of God. We can have peace today. And we have been empowered by God to bring peace to the world today. If we live by those words and we follow through on those truths, then peace won't just be words on a card or lyrics in a song. I think that we'll experience God's peace in a new way. Let's pray.